Our scripture reading today will be from Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 22, this is the word of, the, of God. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and hard with hard service, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. <clears throat> Thanks, Yvonne. Um, well, in my last 20 years or so of, of trying to follow the Lord, uh, one of the more helpful and disturbing things I've discovered uh, has been my default settings. Now, what I mean by default settings, these are things that I didn't uh, choose to believe or do. I wasn't taught to believe or do. It's just kind of always what I, I thought, the way I just kind of approach life. Um, one of those things that I had to unlearn was, was the, the way I approached the Bible. I had to unlearn that it was not primarily about me. I, I, I don't mean that it didn't have anything to, to do with me. You know, on the contrary, I think I should have my life completely revolve around what the Bible teaches. But the Bible is not a book about me. And, and I sometimes flinch at the way this comes out sometimes. Sometimes you might hear um, people say things like that. The Bible is like God's love letter to you. And, and I, I see what people are, are saying in that. That my problem is, is that it plays into this, this already bad idea that we have that the Bible is, is about us. And, and there's, a, there's another question that often comes up uh, that, that captures our imagination. And that's, what is God's will for my life? 
And depending on your personality and maybe your theology, that, that question either comforts you or it, it kind of haunts you. It makes you paranoid, right? Because I can almost guarantee you with all these people moving to start with their freshman year, at least half of them are thinking, this was a mistake, right? I mean, we've all had that, that, that moment where you've, you've, done, you've made a major decision. Week one does not feel like the right decision. And did I, did I mess up God's will for my life? And so, so that's a question that often haunts us. But, but what I want to say is, I don't think it's a great question. And the reason I don't think it's a great question is kind of like I don't like the idea of thinking of, of the Bible as God's love letter to us, is I think it, it, it orients us in the wrong direction. And so rather than thinking about what is God's will for my life, I think raz, rather we should think, what is God's will, period. And so in, in some ways, it, it's a subtle difference. But, but when you're thinking about what is God's will for my life, you're kind of making yourself the main character, right? Like, like I'm the main character and what's God gonna do with me? And so you become central in that story rather than God's purposes being central. And I think that the more that we can be aware of God's purposes, the, the, the more we can understand what God is doing and we can be a part of it. So, so do you see God in relation to you or do you see yourself in relation to God? Now, that might not make sense, but, but here's the difference. If you see God in relation to you, then you're central and God is relating to your story, right? But if you see yourself in relation to God, then God is central and you're relating to what he, who he is and what he's doing. So, so today we're gonna start our study in Exodus. We, we were in Lamentations, we ended that last week and we'll be in Exodus for the rest of this semester. Um, and hopefully as we study this, we'll see God's purposes begin to emerge throughout the book. Uh, and in some cases, we'll, we might be a bit surprised at, at what begins to emerge. And it might not be what we thought, because sometimes when God becomes central rather than us, the things that God values might not be the things that we value. We might even think it's a bit odd what God values. So, so, um, so today, as we follow this line through the text, we might be surprised at where we, where we land. But as we look at chapter one today, what, what I would like for us to consider is two things. I will look at God's promises and God's blessing. So God's promises and God's blessing. All right, first, let's talk about God's promise. So Exodus is picking up where Genesis left off. And let me give a little bit of background here. So uh, and you might go ahead and turn to Genesis because we're going to be in here. Because in order to understand Exodus, we've got to understand where, where we're leaving off from. And I know I might be annoying about this. I just feel like we've we got to understand the flow uh, in order to get the, the details. So uh, go to Genesis chapter 1 uh, and look at verse 28. So in Genesis 1, 28, God famously tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And if you look at Genesis 1, 28, you'll see that the command is also described as a blessing. So verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So the blessing was a command and the command was to be fruitful and multiply. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 12, where God's gonna bless Abraham. He's gonna make a promise to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse one through 13. Genesis 12, excuse me, verse one, chapter 12, verse one through three. Verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. 
And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is promising to bless Abram by making him into a great nation. Now, many of you know at this point, Abram and his wife, Sarah, were, were childless. And they were not good candidates to make a great nation, right? They were old and childless. And so if you're going to choose a couple to have a lot of babies, it's not them, right? But later in Genesis, Abraham is understandably doubting this promise that God made to him. Turn to Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And so God makes another promise to him. Really the same promise, just makes another emphasis. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, we read this. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you're, if you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God is promising Abraham that his offspring will be innumerable, innumerable like the stars in the sky. So God's plan in Genesis 1 was to bless his people by commanding them to be fruitful and multiply. Then the fall of man happens in Genesis 3, and then the redemption story kind of gets reset with Abram in Genesis 12, and God's going to make a new people for himself, and he's going to make the descendants of Abraham like the stars in the sky. And you guys mostly know the story. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Israel has 12 sons, known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, and the back part of Genesis is about how uh, the brothers of Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob slash Israel, uh, is sold into slavery, goes to Egypt, becomes second in command. And then the rest of the family moves to Egypt to be cared for by Joseph during the famine. And so that, that's, what, that's what's getting us to, to Exodus chapter 1. Now look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. So, so this is the context. This is how we got to Egypt. This is how we got to Exodus. Exodus is chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what's happening generations later. Exodus 1, 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly, exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So the people of Israel were fruitful and they multiplied. That's an, ex, that's an echo of Genesis 1, 28, right? God blessed them, told them to be fruitful and multiply, and the blessing is that they are multiplying. The promise of Genesis 12 was to bless Abraham by making a nation of him, by multiplying him, by making his descendants like the stars in the sky. And all of this is happening while the circumstances are not conducive to it. Like their circumstances are awful. So look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore set taskmasters masters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities in Pithom and Ramses. So because the people of Israel were multiplying at a rate that they were, the Egyptians were becoming scared. These people are multiplying so much, they're going to overpower us. So, so what did they do? They began to oppress them even more. And what was the result when they picked up? Look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So, so the more they oppressed Israel, the more they multiplied. And the more that happened, the more afraid the Egyptians became. So, so what do the Egyptians do now? Look at verse 13 and 14. They turn up 
the heat. Verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And since that wasn't working, they took it to an insane level, right? Look at verse 15 and 16. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was Pua, when you serve as the midwife of the Hebrew women and see them on the burstle, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. The Egyptians are not playing around. They're like, hey, we're trying to oppress them and afflict them. It's not working. So look, just kill them. Like when, you, when, when they have a child, when they have a boy, kill that boy. And this is how they're going to stop Israel. Seems like if you're trying to stop people from multiplying, killing their babies seems to be the way to go, right? And how in the world is Israel going to get past the midwives killing the babies? Well, look and see what happens in verse 17 and 19. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And, and what did God do in turn to the midwives? Look at verse 20 and 21. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, what did he do? He gave them families. God dealt well with the midwives by giving them families. He blessed them with children. So how did God bless the midwives? He blessed them by giving them children. So in Genesis 1, God blessed Adam and Eve by telling them to be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham, telling them that he would uh, have many descendants. That he would become a great nation. The descendants would be like the stars in the sky. And here in Exodus 1, we see that God fulfilled the promise he made to Abraham. His descendants have multiplied, and that multi multiplication is God's blessing, which leads to my next point. Second, God's blessing. In, in my home, I, I often announce that children are a blessing. Now, the only problem with that is when I say that, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Usually somebody spilled something or broke something, right? Um, and so, so anyway, it's no secret that, that children can be difficult. Uh, some of y'all heard Jim Gaffigan after having his fourth child he said, if you want to know what having a fourth child is like, imagine that you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> That's, look, having, having children is difficult. And, and however challenging it might be, there is nothing more precious to, to Missy and I than our children, as every parent in here can say. Even on our hardest days, and there are a lot of them, you, you would still not hesitate to say the best thing I have going on is, are my children. And look, I think most married couples plan to have children, but, but I'm not sure that everyone understands it's one of the main purposes God has for marriage. In Malachi 2.15, we read this, says, did he not make them one, speaking of marriage, with a portion of their spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And so what we're reading in Malachi 2 is that one of the main purposes for marriage is godly offspring. Many of y'all are familiar with Psalm 127, 3 through 5. It says, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who's, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
So the, the clear picture that Scripture paints over and over is that children are a blessing, but, but they might not always seem that way. And, and w- one of the main reasons could be that little ones can be difficult, and, and older ones too, right? And parents, are, for kids, I know parents are difficult too. But, but sometimes people have children just because it's maybe a, a cultural norm, and they don't see it as much as a divine calling and blessing, and when people talk about changing the world, you rarely hear people say, I want to have children. That's how I want to change the world. It's usually something else. It might even be in ministry or missions or something like that, which obviously is great. But we, we don't tend to think of having children as changing the world or being all that honorable. It just seems a cultural norm. It's what people do. And it's obviously, it's not anything that there's wrong with, with having careers and wanting to make a difference. It's just the divine calling and blessing of having children can often be overlooked and can seem secondary to most careers, at least in terms of honor. But, but there's probably nothing more important for us than, than what we will deposit in the, next, in the future with the next generation. And so if you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to be countercultural, then have a lot of kids and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't see children as a distraction to your career or social life, but as a divine calling and a divine blessing. See them as one of the main reasons God gave you a spouse or will give you a spouse. When you're looking for a spouse, consider, is this person somebody who will be a godly mother, a godly father? Several years ago, I was hanging out with a guy and, and he was dating a girl and like many of you have probably been at some point in your life or maybe even in now where they were dating this person and it was kind of borderline. You know, this, this girl checked a lot of boxes, um, but he wasn't, they didn't seem all that, compa- all that compatible spiritually. And so as I was talking with this guy, uh, I mentioned this girl that was kind of in the, in the ministry we were a part of. I remember thinking like, man, do you think this girl will be a godly mom? And he said, oh, no doubt. And I was like, well, what about this girl you're dating? But I don't know. I don't know. Um, and, you know, o- over time, kind of a funny story, he ended up splitting up with that girl. And they, these people weren't close at the time, but they ended up marrying that girl I was talking about. But, but he, he, here's the thing, is that one of the things you, you don't hear as much about when people are looking for a spouse, you know, or even the things that are in your, your default settings, are, are, are they attractive? You know, socially, what, what are they like? And we tend not to go to the next step of, would they be a godly father or godly mother? But look, this is one of the main reasons we have uh, marriage. This is what God instituted to raise godly children. So from the beginning, children have been understood in the scriptures as a calling and a blessing. This is what God was doing in the beginning, and it's what he's doing now. And this is much of how we're going to see the kingdom of God advance on the earth. I even read an article last week that claimed this. It said, the future of world Christianity is African. The, the future of world Christianity is African, meaning that the largest, of, of the largest expansion of Christianity is going to be in Africa. And, and this growth is not going to be because of uh, evangelism. It's not going to be because of church planning or missions. It's not going to be because of training pastors or seminaries. You know what the article argued? that it's going to be because of birthright. How is God's kingdom going to expand? Sure, there's going to be missionaries, there's going to be churches, there's going to be seminaries, training pastors, all those good things. The the, the primary way that the kingdom of God is going to advance to the earth is going to be through Christians having babies. 
And, and isn't there a sense when you think of, of the big shot Christians who really get it done, who really make a difference in the world, or those are these missionaries. And, just, and look, I, I don't want to, to, to say anything negative about people who give their life to go to these unreached places. That's a big deal. But here's the thing. What we're seeing throughout the scriptures is, is the, the God's people expanding through families, right? And, and don't we tend to overlook the dignity and, and, and calling of that? The future of Christianity, the expansion of the kingdom of God, is going to happen mostly through Christians having children, through Christians multiplying that way. Now, back to what I was saying at the beginning. We often approach the Bible and make it about us. And we make it about whatever we might be going through in the moment. Uh, maybe we make it about realizing our potential. And, and certainly the, the Bible applies to us and speaks to our potential. But in searching for our purposes, we often overlook God's purposes, what God is doing. And if your view of life, if you view life as a story where you are the main character, then you're going to have an unhappy and even somewhat shallow life. And that's going to be a life lived with God in relation to you. What are you doing? And try to get God to bless it, right? But if you see yourself in relation to God, you see yourself as a part of his story. He is, he is the star of the story, and you are a role player in the greatest story that's ever been told. And once you give yourself to him and to his story, then the pressure is off. There's relief because nothing is going to prevent his purposes from being fulfilled. And, th and there could and should be great joy and relief in that. God was going to multiply Israel. It didn't matter if they were in Egypt. It didn't matter if they became enslaved and afflicted. It didn't even matter if the midwives were instructed to kill the baby boys. Israel was going to multiply. It was going to happen. And the kingdom of God will expand and increase on this planet. And it will largely happen through families having children. So if you're a parent and you feel slowed down by children, know that you are one of the, the main forces of the Great Commission being fulfilled to make disciples. And in, in the same way, in a way that will most affect the future of Christianity. But our problem with that is that it doesn't seem very big or cool, right? We would rather do something great for God than something ordinary while God does great things. And so while you're changing diapers and chasing toddlers, know that God is building the kingdom of God through that. And we might not get a lot of glory from that, you know? No, no one writes a book about changing diapers, right? If they did, be a bad book. The, but there's a sense where what God is doing is he's expanding his kingdom through families. And so these ordinary things that we're doing that don't seem very honorable or doesn't seem like a big deal, it's what God is doing in expanding his kingdom. So, so part of the application of all this is that God is going to do glorious things. And these glorious things that, he, that he's going to do will be done through people doing really ordinary things. Things that don't seem like a big deal, like growing healthy families. Now, I, I want to say something to those who uh, don't have families and might feel left out in this. Uh, you know, the, the Apostle Paul recommended being single over being married. Uh, he described it as a gift for, uh, that freed him up to serve the Lord in, in different ways that a person who is married and has families can't do. So, so in all of this talk, 
being married is a gift and being single is a gift. And so I, I don't want anyone to come away thinking that they're, they're out of God's plan and what he's doing. And, and also, I think some could worry that they've failed as parents. Who among us as parents don't feel that way to some degree? But, but maybe children have turned from the Lord uh, and it's easy to blame yourself. Well, look, there are lots of kids who are raised in good Christian homes who grew up not to follow Jesus as adults. And, and parents have real responsibility and what they do matters. But hear me say this, Jesus was not counting on you when he was building his church. Jesus will build his church. And, and, and in that, there are many who don't grow up in Christian homes, who actually grow up in awful homes, and they grow up to love Jesus and thrive. And that's case in point, is that Jesus isn't counting on anyone else to build his church. He will build it with or without us. He didn't need the parents to be perfect or in some cases even in the game. So, so take it easy on yourself. Control is an illusion. Parents cannot control their children and so they cannot take full blame and neither can they take full credit. But in closing, let me just say this. Don't worry about doing something great for God. God is doing great and glorious things and you're likely to miss it. Don't you know these people who are afflicted they're having babies? I mean, here we are all these thousands of years later reading this story and, and they, they probably thought they were, that nothing was happening. And so you should know that God is probably doing great and glorious things that you just don't know, you don't even know what's going on. He's doing it behind the scenes. All you might be doing is living a faithful, simple life. God was gonna do something glorious and people were gonna be very ordinary in the process. So we should just want to live a faithful and simple life. God will do amazing things. He has and will continue to spread his kingdom through a lot of ordinary people who just simply love and serve him. God was going to make a nation out of Abraham's descendants. God did extraordinary things while Abraham did really ordinary things. God was going to multiply the people of Israel while they were enslaved in Egypt. And while they, they were just trying to get by, God was doing something glorious. He was making a people. And when he led them out of Egypt, they really didn't do anything but complain, right? Like he saved them in spite of them. We'll see this as we continue through Exodus. But God was doing something glorious in the midst of it. And isn't that how the gospel works? Wouldn't you like to, to save yourself by being good enough to where, to where you would deserve to be right with God? That God would owe us salvation because of our good record? But, but in the gospel, we're like Israel in Egypt. The people of Israel didn't do anything to save themselves. If anything, there'd be an argument. Look, even as we've been in Genesis, as we're gonna continue to Exodus, the people of Israel are not a very attractive people. They, they, they seem, the, the, it seems like there's an effort to be, to be shown that these people, are, in a lot of ways, aren't worthy to be saved. That they're not doing anything in and of themselves other than God's sheer grace. And that's the gospel, right? Jesus saves us through and through. The punishment we deserved was put on him and, and all, the, all the good that he did was credited to us for all who would believe and repent. It's for us. And there's nothing of our own that we can bring to the table. That's how God works. God is doing something glorious. And if we don't make it about ourselves, then maybe we can be humble enough to live faithful and ordinary lives and be a part of the glorious things that God is doing God is going to make all things new. 
God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. It is going to happen. So may God help us to live faithful lives because there is glory in the ordinary.